Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to Be Bold Podcast, Season 3. Be Bold Podcast was designed to amplify the voices of Black women, share stories, and talk openly about life in our 20-something. So let's get started. Woo! Y'all, let me start by saying today I'm joined by the beautiful, the smart, amazing Cassie Edwards. Um, Cassie and I met in college while she was on the basketball team. I was on the track team. And I remember we had a couple classes together because we did have the same major and minor. Um, so Cassie, you can go and introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Cassandra Edwards. But as Shuni said, I do go by Cassie. Um, went to the same university together, graduating in 2017, where I graduated with an honors in psychology and a minor in criminal justice. Yes, you did, girl. Okay. Um, originally from Brampton, Ontario, Canada, but I'm currently living out in Maryland, where I am a clinical mental health provider, specializing in trauma, eating disorders, and really just trying to branch out and working with people from different multicultural backgrounds. Nice. Okay. So how, just one question, how is the living from Canada to living in the States? I know you've been living here for a while, but now that you're settled on your own. Right. Oh, goodness. So been stateside for about eight years now. And I always say that, you know, in Canada, the air is fresher, the the water is softer, the air smells different. People are nicer. The food just has an extra spice to it. Um, <laughs> differences. We don't look too different, but um, yeah, there's uh, some key differences I do miss about Canada, though. Yeah. Um, what was it? I went to Canada over last summer, not 2020, 2019, um, and I can definitely vouch for the air being clean. I can definitely vouch for the air. I, I don't know where we're standing, Scarsborough. Um, and the symbols just hitting a little different than it does here in the States. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I asked um, Cassie to join me for this episode for a multitude of reasons. Um, she's a mental health provider, one. And two, she actually became a published author during 2020, during the craziest year. Um, so I want to talk to her a little bit more about that. Um, but how have you been doing during the pandemic? Let's start there. I've been doing relatively well. I think, you know, when we first heard heard that there was a global pandemic, there was that initial shock. Um, But once I was able to kind of like establish a routine and accept that this was going to be my life for a while and sort of grieve some of those trips and vacations that I had planned, um, everything ended up turning out not as bad. And I think I've been dealing and managing pretty well. Okay, good. I like how you use the word grieve. I think that um, some people were just refusing to do that. That's why, you know, people were still traveling. Um, People weren't trying to get their money wasted. Um, And you also mentioned a routine. So I do want to get more into that routine, especially you being a mental health provider, like what you're doing to keep yourself sane. Now, during the pandemic, I started this podcast March 1st. Literally didn't know what was coming in two weeks. Um, and then everything shut down. I was just like, what is going on right now? I thought I was going to be able to drive all this inspiration to do the podcast from what was going on in the outside world, how my life was going to be going. Um, but I had to quickly pivot. Um, and I had to quickly pivot and just see what works. Like you said, establish a routine. I failed at that. I failed at establishing a routine. I think it changed for me. Like Every month, my routine was changing a little bit. Um, but that's how I cope with the pandemic. 
one thing during that's been happening is that I know me personally, I've been talking to a lot of my friends, a lot of more black people were seeking out mental health services, um, therapy, counseling of some sort to grieve actual losses um, and as in family members or grieve the losses of maybe jobs or things that, that they thought were going to happen for them in 2020 that, that did just not end up happening. As a mental health provider, what have you, what has the other side of it seemed like to you? No, you bring up a good point. I've definitely seen an influx of Black people, even people from like immigrant backgrounds um, where mental health is usually pretty stigmatized, come in for services. And I would say that there's a little bit of transition. I mean, there is the, tra- the traditional, you know, um, people seeking services for anxiety, depression, grief, like you mentioned, trauma, but there's also like this normalizing of coming in for therapy. It's sort of like a checkup, like how we always have like that yearly physical or, you know, that appointment that we go through every six months. I'm seeing people just come in and be like, hey, I just want to check in on my mental health, make sure that, you know, I'm doing well, I'm relatively okay, I'm where I need to be, or just, you know, like you said, that transition for many was so hard. Finding a routine, whether it was, you know, hours at the job has changed or some people even losing that extra source of income and finding that transition. So it was amazing just to see the different things that people were coming in with, but the influx of people of color coming in for therapy was pretty cool. Yeah. I um I like that it's now normalized for me to talk about within my group of friends. Um I don't think that any of us ever looked down on therapy, but when I started going and then when we were talking about, oh, maybe you should go here. You should try this place. It was just like, I felt a little more comfortable to be vulnerable around my friends. Like the conversation around therapy has, I think, completely changed within the last five years. Yeah. I think, yeah, five years ago, it was just like, why do you need to do this? Like, what is this for? Or just a lack of understanding. But now it's just, you know, where can I go? Are they taking my insurance? Do they not take insurance? I was actually talking to a friend who was a guy who just openly told me, he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a therapist right now. And I was just like, I was taken aback, but I just like, let it be normal. Cause I was right. just like, okay. I was like, okay. I mean, you look at this place, like that's how I'm, dang, my freaking uh, fire alarm. But I'm gonna fix that. Um, yeah. So I, I, I love that conversation um, and being able to have it. So through your work, like you said, you, you've seen more people coming and you mentioned a routine. Um, when I talked to my therapist a couple months ago, I was, I kind of asked her questions too. I'm like, how are you doing? How are you dealing with everything? Even though I'm the person who's supposed to be uh, paying for my services. I'm like, are, <laughs> I'm like, how are you doing? I know that a lot of people are looking for therapy and she was just mentioning like a routine. She didn't tell me what it was, but you want to give people an inside like peek. What is a routine as a mental health counselor that you're using that you can sustain yourself not only during a pandemic, but having to help other people of color during a pandemic and hearing all these stories. Right. So routine as essence is sort of like the outline to your day. Um, some major things that are consistent for me on a day-to-day basis is sort of the wake-up time that I have and like a time that I go to bed just to add some more um, consistency when I have my meals. Um, but specifically in my routine, since the pandemic started, thankfully I've had the opportunity to transition to working from home. Um, and in the middle of the pandemic, I actually transitioned to another job that offered a little bit more flexibility in my routine. Love to so hear it. It looks like waking up, doing a daily devotional in the morning, um, showering, making breakfast, and three days out of the week, I'll work out in the morning. 
um, during the work week at least, work out in the morning, have my schedule, do my lunch break at the end. That's when I try to check in with family and friends in the evening. And then I sit down with a good book or binge watch a TV show. And then I kind of do it all again. Um, try to have some weekend walks. And through the pandemic, um, I actually have an accountability group with my sister, um, a colleague who's become a really close friend and her cousin. And we've just set out some goals for ourselves to just sort of maintain some accountability throughout um, the pandemic. So also having that every week as well has been a part of my routine, just establishing goals, checking in with a few people, making sure we are where we say we should be. Um, but that's sort of how I've had my routine, just something that's predictable, especially in a time where so much is uncertain. Having that little bit of predictability in my routine has really helped. Yeah. And you mentioned the great point, accountability partners, um, accountability group, your closest friends, people you trust, being able to remind you, hey, you promised yourself you were going to do this for yourself. You know, and it's not like they're not like you have to go out of your way because you're already supposed to be in this routine. Um, but reminding you, like, hey, you know, you're supposed to be taking this time for yourself. You're binging or your TV shows or your workout that's supposed to be helping you get through the year. So um, it's funny because I mentioned my routine has changed every single month <laughs> because I just like I don't know I don't know what it is because I go into these like points of like just being super anxious about what's going to happen next. I think that comes from me being a control freak. Um, I definitely want to have control, but I have none of it. And I had none of it for the last like eight, I mean, 10 months now. Um, and so I just want, can you give some advice to people? I know, I know you mentioned the, the routine and the accountability partner, but can you give some advice to people who are probably going into these periods of anxiousness, like some things that they can probably do or some things, I mean, besides seeking therapy that they can do on their own at home to kind of get them through these periods of anxiousness because we, we still don't know when things are going to be good again. Right, right. Um, absolutely. I think I know it's the hardest part, but really looking at what's going on around and identifying what is in your control and what's not. Um, I think oftentimes when we see everything that's going on in the world and it's like chaos, we feel like things are happening to us as opposed to being like, okay, but what decision do I have in this process? Um, something that's really nice that I always try to recommend is journaling having just that space and that time for yourself. The county partner, accountability partner works really well. But then also that, you know, self-compassion, that grace. Like you mentioned, your routine changed every month. Sometimes that's how it needs to be. You know, never in a time in our generation, at least, where we've had so much time on our hands or a little bit more that increase in anxiety and that uncertainty, we are trying out different things. We are trying to see what fits. So if it works right now and you're like tired of that, that is okay. It's sort of giving ourselves that self-compassion and grace because never in a million years did we think that this is what 2020 would have looked like. Um, so it's just that understanding as well. So I would say journaling, um, self-compassion, trying to have that routine accountability. And probably the last, last thing is checking in with your body. Um, that is something that I have learned to really value over the course of this pandemic so far, just listening to my body and not necessarily what I think I should be doing, but what my body needs for me um, and just developing that relationship. 
Yeah, great point. I um during the pandemic, I actually everyone was making these jokes about uh I'm gonna go eat get all my snacks and just sit and eat all that stuff. And I did that for the beginning of the, the pandemic. But in a point where I was checking out my body, I was just like, you cannot do this for much longer. And it wasn't like an aesthetically looking thing. It was the fact that I know that if I'm continuously grabbing for snacks, my body is obviously not sustaining well. Like I'm going to have to keep recharging on the sugar and snacks. And so I started to like relook at what I was eating and realize that I you know I feel a little more calm. I feel a little more in, in, in a good space when I'm juicing or when I'm eating certain foods. I just felt better. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to get through this pandemic. I need to, you know, maybe pick and choose when I'm going to eat those snacks. I'll take them out completely, but maybe just pick and choose. That's kind of a way I checked in my body. I actually juggled that and I was like, okay, that's how I'm going to sustain. And now when I have like weeks where I'm not juicing or weeks that I'm not exercising, I can tell, I know I'm just like, do I need rest? Like what's going on here? I kind of step back on those weeks a little bit more um, and talk to myself about that. Mm-hmm. You are not telling any lies. I, when I was hearing, I was like, girl, didn't we all? I think when the first thing <laughs> ha- happened, it was like a glass of wine here, having the oh, best yeah. snacks, you know. Um, even after a while, being like, you realize after a while, you start to feel like lethargic or like mm-hmm. have motivation. You're like, hold on. We have to sort of reevaluate. You're so right. And I love that you were able to recognize and make that transition for yourself. Yeah, I really hope that. I hope if someone didn't do that yet or isn't or listen yet, even I, I don't know. I went days without drinking water. Like, that's how, like, that was weird, like, for me. I, I would wake up the next day. I'm like, why is my throat so dry? I was like, I didn't drink any water yesterday. Like, oh, God. Like, I had to literally go back to basics. Like, back to basics is actually what is helping me sustain during the pandemic. Like, I sometimes think about the larger picture, like, the, the huge, larger picture of everything. Like, okay, when I graduate, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, this, this. But that kind of, that gives me more anxiety than just to be in the moment. Like, so I literally think about the larger picture. Then I, I step back. I'm just like, okay, graduation, step back from that. What do I need to graduate? I need these grades. What do I, how am I going to get these grades? I'm going to be doing these classes. How am I going to do these classes? Like by scheduling out when I'm going to do these assignments. And then I get back to my, I get back in my head about exactly just taking each step instead of just wanting to get there, especially when we don't know when we're going to get there, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to talk about how you were able to create during this crisis. Um, a couple months ago, I want to say like a month or two ago, you announced that you have become a published author. Yes, 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 I did. So let's talk about that. The book is called 21 Resilient Women. Mm-hmm. So yes, who came so, up? Go ahead. No, let's say who came up with the idea? What how did you become an author? What was that process like? Yeah, sure. So I have an aunt um who had reached out to my sister and I, I wanna say in the spring of twenty twenty, and she heard of this amazing project of twenty one women coming together to write their individual stories of strength and resilience. And when she was at the first meeting, she realized that there wasn't much people part of the younger community of the younger generation they're all you know mid life a little bit older 30s 40s some boring 50s 60s so she thought there needs to be a younger voice so she actually approached us and we thought it was pretty cool you know they gave us some deadlines to just write our story and it was sort of like a small essay but never in my 
wildest dreams that I think that it would have gotten to the level that it did where we were able to publish um, a book where we can share our collective stories of courage, resilience, and just how we were able to overcome different adversities in our lives. Okay, so how was it creating, like, in, you have your routine, you have everything going on, you're a mental health counselor. How is it adding becoming an author in the middle of a pandemic? It was, it was, I want to say it was an overwhelming process of with everything going on, but it was also very therapeutic in terms of, you know, there's already the writing that I do with journaling. Um, but then it was just sort of like collecting all those emotions and putting it into the story. One thing that if anyone takes away from this that I think is so important is sometimes when we look at, like you were mentioning, that larger task, for many, it can feel overwhelming being like, okay, I got to write a chapter for a book. It's like, what? How do I even get there? Um, being able to break that process down into like smaller steps, whether it was what is a theme that I want to write about, focusing on that for a week. Um, how do I want to start this story? Um, focusing on that for the next week, actually putting pen to paper, typing it out, sending it to the editor, um, breaking it down. It made it seem a lot more manageable with everything going on, but it, it was, it was, it was a long and hard process. So just to give us a little sneak, what, what can we look at? What, what can we look forward to in your chapter? Okay. So in my chapter, what I really do is I detail my experience with athletics and being from a Jamaican household and the perception of image, how important that is, that when you step out into the world, you're no longer just representing you, but you are like the broadcast for your entire family. Everything you do is important for your family and how sometimes I can add an extra level of pressure and just how I really had to learn how to advocate for myself, set my own boundaries and make decisions for me, not what I thought my family would want from me. Um, so that's sort of just a little bit about my chapter. Okay, nice. And so you know what, Cassie, you were definitely known as the girl that everybody loved in the, in, at UAlbany. Like, it was like, how could you not like Cassie? Or it was this like, how can Cassie not like you? You have to be a really bad person for Cassie to not like you. <laughs> that's, I remember, I think that was and Nyla told me, I think when I first like even got there, she was like, Yo, Cassie loves everybody. <laughs> so I definitely. I <laughs> yeah. But if you're representing your family, you're doing a good job. Um, but I just want get, to even get into that. Um, when living in like a foreign household, me being Nigerian, I can definitely relate to having to go out into the world, present for not only you and your family, but then getting to a point where it's just like, dang, like, what am I going to make a choice for myself? Like, when am I going to go and, you know, stop living, you know, for my family? Like, I did that part. I think I accomplished that. That was good. So when do you start living for yourself? Um, Honestly, I think it was when I left for university, um, coming to the States for the first time at I want to say I was 17, leaving home and not necessarily returning since. But yeah. with basketball, I mean, we were there through like winter, through summer. I think summer we got like two weeks off. So like a lot of the time was on my own, really developing my own personality and my own friend groups. Um, you know, of course, you have your instances where you also fall in love during that time. So really learning a lot about myself was really cool. But I think the biggest thing, which I do mention in the chapter as well, 
was when I decided to cut my hair. I I kid you not, I can remember hearing, you know, my mom asked me if I was having like some type of crisis, some type of mental breakdown, what was going on. And I, was, <laughs> you know, and I just wanted something new. Um, and I think that was like the first time that I was like, you know what, forget everyone else's opinion. I'm doing this for me. And there's just something freeing about when you can cut your hair. I don't know if it's the confidence, if all of a sudden the waist gets smaller. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it's like I was able to reemerge into this new woman. I really found my voice and my confidence in that moment. And I mean, I want to say the rest is history. It's growing now, but yeah, yeah, it's just, I think it was really that moment. That's when I really stepped out of the, you know, traditional, this is what you're supposed to look like. Your hair is your crown, blah, blah, blah. And I just cut it off. Honestly, I was having that conversation. Your hair looked amazing when you cut it. I was having that conversation with my sister because my sister recently cut her hair. And I and it was a point in quarantine where it seemed like everybody was cutting their hair. I don't know if it was just like people on TikTok were just cutting their hair off and stuff. And I don't I think it's because your hair takes a lot of time. Like especially for black for black women, your hair takes so much time. It literally being a, a natural girl, or even if you're you're not natural and your hair is permed, it's a whole different part of your day. I feel like it's a part of your personality. So when you cut it off and you no longer have to tend to your crown, your hair, you're just like, okay, well, I have a couple hours now to my life in a week or even in the year to do other things to conquer to conquer other things. Like, no lie, I'm in the middle of taking out braids right now. So it's just like, mm-hmm. I know it's going to be a whole weekend of me doing my whole self care, which I which I love to do. But I can understand like if I know if I never had to do this again, or at least for a while, didn't have to do it again. No, I I feel content. I feel really good and like I have a lot of time on my hands. So yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. That the first few weeks where I could just like shower and like hop out and go was amazing. Now I got a little I got some curls now, so it is back to that time commitment, but loving yeah. it as of the process. Yeah, but but while your hair was short, you were able to find yourself, like you said, find that voice that's separate. And so now that your hair's grown back, yeah, you still have what you learned in that process and that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you make a vision board every year? I usually do make a vision board. This past year, though, I um, attended a visioning conference. I think it was last Saturday. It was like the National Visioning or International Visioning Board Day. Oh, um, nice. So, yeah, so I was able to participate in that. It was a little bit different. But yes, I usually do make a vision board. So how was the conference? Like, What, what was it about? Was it more of like talking goals? Uh, I guess a little bit. So they kind of broke it up into like three parts where they had a reflective activity where they gave everyone some time to just look back on 2020, things that went well, things that didn't go so well, what we wish we did more or less of. And then we had an opportunity to like brainstorm for the next one to five years. What are some things that you want to accomplish in the person that you want to be? And you, we were given like five minutes just to brainstorm everything that came to our mind. And then it was like, what do you not want to be? What type of person do you not want to be? And then from that, we were able to pinpoint five, you know, important or goals that could be a priority for 2021. And then three that we know for a fact we want to accomplish. So it was really cool. So we got to have some time where we could work on our own and then come back as a larger group and process. But it was pretty awesome. Okay, I like that a lot. Okay, good. I'm happy there's like a, an actual day for it, um, for vision boarding. But I prioritized making my vision board before the new year. And it wasn't until uh, 2020, like going into 2020, 
where um, I was like, let me just sit down and really do it. I used to cut out pictures from a magazine and put them on, um, like pin them on a board. Well, let me just really sit down and think about those things that you just mentioned. Like, what are my goals for the next one to five years? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to come out of this year specifically? Um, so I know on that 2020 vision board, I, I made a theme, like the theme for the board was self-care. The oh, board wasn't, it wasn't even like full of monetary goals. I didn't want to make a certain amount of money. I didn't want a certain job. I literally wanted to prioritize my self-care throughout the year, prioritize self-love throughout the year. So I put those things on the board. Um, I think that I got that out of the year. I thought it was weird that I prioritized self-care and we ended up in a pandemic where all I could do was self-care and try different self-care things. So I guess, you know, that came true. Um, but for even for 2021, I, I had such a good time doing that for 2020. For 2021, I sat down like, what do I want to come out of 2021? Even if it doesn't actually come out, what do I want to be trying towards? And so I know a lot of people were feeling anxious about making vision boards this year because they're like, I don't even know what's going to happen. Like, we didn't know. 2020 was going to go down that way. Um, but for anybody who was feeling anxious about it, I want I want people to know your goals that you put on the vision board don't always have to be about like certain things to accomplish off of like a life goal to, to do list. You know, they could be goals that have to do with like self-love and self-care and things that just have to do with you that you can only control. I think sometimes vision boards can kind of get like, oh, let me put like a ring on my vision board. Or let me put like a car on my vision board where... You know, sometimes you really can't control whether or not it happens for you. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love that you said that, because one thing that can always remain constant with us as the world changes is ourselves. So one thing that I always say that's a good thing to put on a vision board is, yes, the goals that you have, but also, you know, the type of person that you want to be, um, putting that on the vision board as well. So that regardless of what life may throw our way, if we know that, okay, I want to be a person that, you know, values my body, values my relationships, nurtures those, then that is something that you can always continue to do. Like, for example, my theme for this year is just integrity, um, a practice of just being honest and um, being genuine in all of my actions. So those are things like, for example, that can, regardless of everything, regardless if it's a ring, a car, you know, X amount of money in a bank account, it also offers that level of compassion where if you do get the end of the year and you're like, damn, I didn't get my, where I want to be or the certain goals that I set, but you can be like, well, let's look at the things that I did accomplish. I became a better person striving for those goals as well. So I like that you said that. Yeah. The process to like, striving for the goal. Um, one of my things on my vision board is um, to learn Igbo. Even, I'm I'm Nigerian. I was born there, but like two months after I was born, I came to America. So um, I don't have an accent or anything. But my one of the things on my my vision board is to learn Igbo this year. Now I might not have the whole language down in a year, but in the process. You know, I'm going to be someone who's accountable. I'm going to hold myself accountable every night for doing my practice. I'm going to become someone who, you know, knows some words, is able to communicate in some ways. You know what I'm saying? And I can continue that. I know Issa Rae, did you have something to say? I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful goal. Um, Good for you. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Issa Rae had a, she recorded a video that kind of, that went viral of her vision board in her office that she made years ago, like years prior to her becoming famous. And on the vision board, she was actually pointing out 
the fact that I think it was like four years, five years past that the majority of the things on that vision board had come true. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was great too. That's why I actually didn't throw away my 2020 vision board because.